0: Hall Records and Vintage Goods, located in Vintage Village at Eastridge Mall, Gastonia, North Carolina. You are now listening to the Hunt Talks Podcast, where we bring you conversations with people connected to the Carolinas underground music scene. With your host, Mike Phillips of Van Huskins. Hey there, and welcome to episode 24 of Gabba Gabba Hut Talks. Now I'm going to keep this intro short, but I did need to add something on to this episode. I've got several great episodes lined up for the next few weeks, and currently working on getting more scheduled as well. I'm really excited about the stuff I've got coming up, including this episode you're getting ready to listen to. This is a great episode. But I also want to remind you, there's some other great podcasts out there. The Spit in My Face podcast, Something Good For You, and Rooster Radio. If you haven't checked that one out, I recommend starting with episode 16, which features my band, Van Huskins. just came out last week, and while I don't think it's available on Apple, you can get it on Spotify, you can get it on Google, or go to anchor.fm slash theroostergastonia. That episode was a lot of fun to record, and I really enjoyed listening back to it myself. Now let me go ahead and get you to today's episode, but before I do, just wanted to let you know where you can find this artist's music. Power Takeoff is an excellent band, and I highly recommend their music. You can get the album This Is Late at learningcurverecords.bandcamp.com. The split 7-inch with Multicult that we talk about in this episode is also available there. And you can also find more of their music at power-take-off.bandcamp.com. If you do plan to buy their music from Bandcamp, do it this Friday. The first Friday of every month for right now, Bandcamp is dropping their fees so the artist gets more money whenever you purchase music directly from them on Bandcamp. Help out all your favorite artists. But now, let's go ahead and get to today's episode. All right, let's try this then.
1: Um, Hey, can you hear me now? I can. All right, good. (laughs) Sorry about that. I could be a a little bit electronically challenged.
0: No, it it was actually, it was on my end. Um, Like the reason I wasn't quite ready yet a minute ago was because I was... It's been a while since I've done this and I didn't have everything set up. And all of a sudden I realized that um, I had my Zoom recorder set up as an interface and I don't need to do that right. for this. I just need to use it to record. Right. So I took it off and then all of a sudden Skype didn't recognize that I had a microphone anymore because it was using that. <laughs> and my webcam didn't automatically kick in. So I actually ended up having to switch webcams because the first one wouldn't work for whatever reason. Anyway, you don't have video. You don't have to have video. That's fine with me. Um, But I I was just letting you know I don't see the video. I
1: thought I did, but I guess I don't. So
0: Yeah. Whatever that will work. Um, I'm not sure if you can can see me. I guess you probably can. I
1: can. I can see you, yeah. Nice Voivod shirt. (laughs) Oh, thank you.
0: (laughs) I saw him at uh, Neighborhood Theater a few years ago, and it was a badass show.
1: Yeah, I was at that. I've seen him a couple times over the years, and, uh, you know, of course, not having the original lineup is different and weird, yeah, yeah. but man, I gotta say, they still bring it. And, uh, it, that new guitar player, I mean, he's just as good as Piggy. Yeah. And, uh, he can, and that new bass player even is, uh, pretty damn awesome too, you know? Yeah. Um, there's something about that band. And I think no matter who it is, if it's always just Snake and uh, Michael, the drummer, it'll, yeah. It'll always be Voivod.
0: Yeah. So, and I I never got to see them back in the day. So I was at least glad to get to see them then. So that was,
1: um. I I was just, you know, it's one of those things where like, holy shit, that's happened at the neighborhood theater. I got to go. Yeah, (laughs) Me me
0: and Eric were the same. It was like, you know, they might not be that good anymore, but we'll see. And you know, I was glad. Oh, I
1: had a feeling they were good. I just was kind of shocked that, you know, like, I guess we could get into later and during all this, but I'm just was shocked. Somebody brought them to Charlotte. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I'm always shocked when that happens.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so it's uh, nice to talk to you. Not, we've never met before. Um, look forward I to it.
1: I think we've been in the same room we have. Uh, more times than, yeah. we than prob- I would probably could count. <laughs> yeah,
0: probably so. And we've just never met for one reason or another. Um, but I'm talking to Gus Engstrom today and currently from Power Takeoff. But tell me a little bit about, because I don't really know anything about you. Tell me a little bit about
1: where you're from. And uh, like, how you got into music as a kid? So I uh, was born in Kansas, and uh, I moved here in 1980, and which was kind of traumatic a little bit. So like, you know, moving from the Midwest to like not never thinking you may never see the ocean to all of a sudden being in a state that touched the ocean, yeah, and going to the beach was a little weird. And the mountains, uh, it was good though. I mean, my dad uh, worked for Pizza Hut and uh okay. he brought us out here and uh you know it was kind of one of those things where i who knows where my life would have been if i have stayed there but you know i had a, a a good childhood i spent most of my time on a bmx bike like most kids you know raising hell doing shit yeah and until i discovered skateboarding in like 1985 yeah and that was kind of like the weird rabbit hole for me
0: yeah it is for for a lot of people for sure
1: yeah i mean Uh, I don't think people give enough credit that Thrasher Magazine was such a portal back then because they had, like, the scene report for music. Yeah. So not only were you, like, looking at skaters, but you could also, it'd say the South. Well, these were the the punk bands people were into, and then everything was locale. That's how I heard about the Melvins. That's how I heard about Neurosis. And so literally, like, about that time, you know, like, that was, I mean, I used to. I make the joke that I'm kind of the same person I was when I was like 14, but it's kind of true. I mean, yeah. I don't listen to any different music than I did then, you know. And uh, living up around here, uh, I mean, I imagine you're from this area too. Yeah, it's it sucked in the fucking 80s. Like living in Concord and being a different kid was not cool.
0: I, I'm from Kings and, Mountain, so I, I grew up in a, like a really small town, a little bit far farther yep. away from Charlotte. So, definitely, it was, it was it was weird.
1: If you were into punk, different weirdness, you were ostracized by all the kids that were redneck. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and like Andy Cobble, the people that owns Pinkies, he yeah. grew up here with me and stuff. And like John Marlowe, the drummer in town from like yeah. the Grave Rollers, he grew up with me. Um, we, you know, it was just rough for us. when we were just not like everybody else. And I was okay with that, but they weren't. And I don't know, it kind of. I think you get a chip on your shoulder, you know? Yeah. Um, you, you grow up, like, a little bit like uh, it's us against them, you know? And so for that reason, I shunned pretty much every other kind of music. Like, if it was Pink Floyd, that was redneck music. If it was yeah. ACDC, that was redneck music. Oh, wow. I didn't yeah. listen to that shit. <laughs> and not till I went to college did I kind of, like, take a step back and appreciate it. You know, because I just saw that music blaring out of a Camaro with yeah. some dude with a mullet calling me damn names and shit and uh, never thought like, well, man, there's actually, it's actually good music <laughs> and uh, it has some redeeming qualities. I can't. I can't hold the music accountable because that dickhead listens to it.
0: Yeah. I kind of went a little bit the opposite direction. We, we, I guess, got into classic rock first and and stuff like that. Then found punk rock. And once we found punk rock, then we were like, man, ACDC sucks. Screw that band. But it was because of the exact same reason because every redneck in, in Kings mountain would blare ACDC out of their truck. And it's like, we don't want to be like that. We don't want to, that's right. not the music we listen to. And then years later, of course it was like, oh man, yeah, I love all that shit again.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally made a flip flop, but it took me a long time to appreciate that stuff. And, yeah. you know, and I I graduated high school in 1990 okay. and uh, and I went to Kansas, back to Kansas. I went to the University of Kansas to go to school. And uh, that was like, a, it's a very fertile punk community. Um, They had a place there called the Outhouse, which was like out in the middle of a cornfield. Yeah. And it was kind of like Kansas's version of the milestone. Yep. Everybody played there. Um, and that was just kind of a continuation. But even on a different level, because like William S. Burroughs lived in Lawrence, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy to think about. And uh, I don't know. That's where I spent like the next four years before mm-hmm. I ended up back out this way. But you know, all along I've just been, you know, going to the milestone. And I mean, I remember when the international club was over on Tuck-a-CG, Yeah. and there was a place called the hall of fame across the street. And, you know, I, I've been going to stuff, I guess so long. And then, you know, now I just feel like the old guy in the room <laughs> and it's, uh, it's kind of weird. Like I went to a show, I guess, uh, right before COVID. Yeah. And uh at that skate park, that Oso skate park oh, yeah. and yeah. kids were dancing and this guy knocked my glasses off and I've been down <laughs> to pick up my glasses and he said, hey, get the fuck out of the way old man. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I guess I am the old man in yeah. the room now, but I still try to go to shows and still try to be supportive. I just, I don't know what's going to happen now after COVID. If, uh, what the scene is going to be, what it's going to look like.
0: I hope it looks a lot the same. I hope that the same venues are still there. I think they're going to need some help, but I, I hope it looks a lot the same. I think people, for the most part, will get back out to going back out again. I think there's still going to be some people that are probably forever going to be changed by this. Yeah. In good ways and bad ways. Um, yeah. But I don't think, I don't, I don't really fear for, like, I don't think that the scene's going to die.
1: I don't think it's going to die. I think it's going to morph in a weird way. Like yeah. I kind of hope there's like a documentary called The Desolation Center that's on Amazon, and okay. it's about when they started like closing all the uh, clubs in LA in like '82. Yeah, these people started doing like guerrilla shows, and they had like shows in the desert. Mm-hmm. Um, they had like shows on boats that went around the harbor of like San Pedro. Um, then they had like a show at Spawn Ranch with Sonic Youth. Yeah. Um, they did all this stuff and I kind of would like to hope that maybe things kind of go a little more underground again Yeah, it's and possible. maybe, and maybe like, I don't know, start like thinking outside the box, doing shows that are like non-traditional show spaces. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what that will be anymore. You know, yeah. um, cause I mean, I stay pretty active on the internet and I've read like, you know, in San Francisco, like Slim's is closed mm-hmm. and bottom of the Hills closed. And the High Dive in Denver, um, Barracuda in Austin. Serious big clubs are taking it in the backside. Yeah. And I just, Charlotte is a big money town with gentrification. And uh, I just don't know. Because um, I don't see this ending, you know. I mean, yeah. I think there will be another wave, unfortunately. Oh, I'm, yeah. a, I'm, a, I'm a guy that believes in wearing masks. Oh, yeah. And I live in a community where Concord and Canapolis, they just thumb their nose at it
0: yeah I see it every day
1: yep and it's uh and I don't know i mean and and I know that there's all those weird twenty year old kids in Charlotte that I heard because I you know talk to people that claim that they're not wearing masks either, mm-hmm. so who knows what's going to happen?
0: I think we're probably in for a rough winter and then we'll see what happens on the other side of all that well, yeah that, that that a lot of that depends on the vaccine and, and and a lot of other things a lot of it has to do yep. with people's behaviors. I guess I, I, I'm the same way. I've even thought about this. You know, if, if something happens and all the clubs in this area close, we'll we'll find a way. We'll find a way to throw right. shows. We'll, ha- we'll have shows in backyards or wherever we have to do it. But I, I guess that part of me that doesn't want to see that is the one that wants to still see, you know, the milestone and Tommy's and everybody still be around at the other side of this.
1: I, I kind of hope what comes out of this is a little more compassion out of people. Mm-hmm. The, you know, I've seen this town morph kind of many times now since I was a kid. And there's been times where the scene was very supportive of one another, yeah. like other bands. And I kind of feel like now it's not so much. There's a lot of, I don't know, kind of a bunch of islands, mm-hmm. you know? Like Raleigh is always a scene I've looked at that's always been very, like, self-supportive of each other. Yeah. So, and Charlotte has always kind of been a little cliquish. Yeah. And not so much a helping somebody out, yeah. unless they're like a friend. And I kind of would like to think that maybe it's this has humanized everybody, and maybe everybody realizes we all are in the same boat, and we can all help someone out in some way or capacity. You know,
0: I certainly hope so.
1: I mean, I would like to think so. I mean, because you know, there's there's a. I mean, Charlotte never has had has gotten much recognition for music, mm-hmm. really. I mean. You know, people forget when Morbid Angel recorded Altars of Madness, they lived here. Yeah. And lived on Oakland Avenue off Central. And, um, you know, Buzz Oven lived here and basically, like, formed here. Yeah. And anti-scenes, Jeff's still doing it, you yep. know? Oh, yeah. And there's, you know, but then nowadays, there's, like, Harvard toured a bunch. And Junior Astronomers toured a bunch. And and in the Way had a big impact till everything came to a close. Yep. <laughs> and... You know and uh so but, but there's stuff doing stuff but this town has never really gotten not that it needs national recognition but just even recognition at, at large I, i've seen that i've been in the scene
0: for years and i, I keep saying the same thing but, you know as far as the music goes here and the musicians we've got great musicians we've got you know wonderful music coming out of this area but we just don't have the support even from within our community outside of that group of friends that you were talking about you know because we've got we've got a group of friends friend bands that we play with a lot but there's there's a lot more cross-pollination we could do if if all the scenes would work together a little bit more and not be so quickish
1: yeah I mean you know like when we were doing Horse Thief um, which was basically my first band years I just booked shows I never thought myself as a musician or anything and it was just something I just slowly picked up on messing around by myself taking some guitar lessons here in Concord at Mullis Music but Horse Deep was my first band it was just kind of like at that time I feel like that was after like the early 2000s everything had kind of stalled out yeah there weren't a lot of bands um we played with the same people every time Mm -hmm. Kalabi Yao (laughs) and there was, like, a couple other people. And then Neil and them got the milestone going, Mm -hmm. and we just played with the same bands. And so we made a pledge to ourselves that every time we played, we would try to bring an out-of-town band to play. Yeah. And that's how we lured Torch to town the first time. Okay. And Dove and whoever else, and just tried to make it an event, you know? Yeah. And I wish more people would do that, but it's a lot of work. You know? It is. And now I look at the scene, and I think there's a gazillion bands, which is even harder to do, but maybe COVID is going to, like, strip it down to, like, quality, not quantity, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. You know? And and maybe just cause some people are going to be like, well, why do a band? You can't do nothing with it. You know? There's no end in sight of when you could play a show.
0: There'll be a few casualties.
1: Yeah. And some people, I think, look at it that way. Some people are just... People who like to write and record, you know. And it's so easy to do that now yeah. with the technology. But, uh, you know, I always have tried to make it an event. So I wish some people would do that. And it makes me mad when I see people not promoting, not making flyers, not trying, yeah. you know. I mean, it's hard to get people out these days. It There's is. so much else in the world going on.
0: It is, and then you, when you see a band that, that's been playing for years and, and they're still out there playing shows, and but you never really know when they're playing because unless you hear somebody else promote it, because they're not really promoting it, you're like, you know, you could pull right. your you could pull your part a little bit. Um, there, there, there's a lot of that in the scene I, I've noticed. Um, I guess they just expect the the internet to do it for
1: them. Yeah, and the internet's a weird thing. You know, sometimes people have a real handle on it, and sometimes people don't. And yeah. I don't know if I do. I mean, I'll be 49 this year. And I guess that kind of puts me as one of the older people, kind of in the punk scene, so to speak. Yeah. Because by that time, people just sort of, eh, they go do something else. That's what
0: I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll be 47 in February, so I'm not much younger than you. But I'm just, you know, me and me and Eric are still doing it. But I look around and I do see a lot of people our ages still out there doing it. But, you know, the the longer it goes on, the more those people might drop off thinking, yeah, well wasn't really worth putting this effort into it anymore if we can't really do anything with it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I want to do it right, you know, and, and I decided when, you know, horse thief was, I mean, like I said, it was my first band and we did everything wrong. Yeah. (laughs) We just kept playing shows. We didn't go record. Then we won a free recording session through guitar center and it was a nightmare. (laughs) And then I'm like, shit, this doesn't sound like us. We, We can't put this out. And so we were finally like, well, we should do something. And then when we finally did, we broke up Yeah. and that was it. And so like, I was like, well, okay, we just did everything the way you weren't supposed to, All right. and, uh, you know, we'll just have to live with that. But, you know, I, I vowed if I did it again, I was going to do it right, you know, Yeah. and I really didn't know what that was. I mean, I messed around with this solo project called snake Plissken with one S yeah. for a while. And uh, never really got it off the ground. Just, I guess I just couldn't get organized enough. And at some points, you just, you know, you know how it is. Some days you just kind of feel like, man, it's a lot of work doing this. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't seem to get people together. And I never thought I'd join Grids, yeah. you know. And um, I did. And we did a lot in like 12 months or 14 months.
0: And let's back up just a little bit. Um, okay, so, so- sure uh when you first when did you first start playing an instrument and and so you say horse thief was your first band did you like dabble with any other bands or play with any other musicians before that happened no
1: no i just messed around with guitar yeah i mean in the 90s i was helping book pretty actively Mm -hmm. like bringing a lot of stuff to the milestone uh not the milestone but uh to tremont when it first opened um i used to do a lot of shows there I helped bring some stuff to. There was like a short-lived club in the mid to early '90s called Heretics. Do you yep. remember that? I'll, I I'll remember, remember Triumph. My, my first band, or one of my
0: first bands, uh, Pope's on Dope, or, and my, my and my first band, The Style and Johnny Appleseeds, we played there several times. Uh, that was like our home back in the back in those days.
1: That was a weird, cool place, yeah. you know. And uh, some weird stuff ended up there. Like really, I mean, I saw stuff that I still am like tell people like I saw Harvey Milk for the first time there Yeah. and that was the night he had the anvil and the sledgehammer on stage and <laughs> did that and which he only did supposedly like a handful of times in their entire career. Yeah. But it happened to be there and uh, it was with geezer Lake yep. from Greensboro. Oh yeah. And uh, but you know, I was always trying to help bring bands to town and Steve Munzel and I were really good friends Okay, and, yeah. Um. So, Steve and I would go a lot of places. Like, I went everywhere with Ooblish, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we I did a lot them. of stuff. And yeah, there used to be a, a like a house in Greensboro called Dick Street that was over near UNCG. Okay. And there was a lot of house shows then, and we we went to those. So there was lots of late nights doing that, and through a lot of that stuff, I met a lot of the Raleigh people that I'm still friends with today. Yeah. Which uh, I've always sort of. Really like the Raleigh scene a lot. I always I, thought they kind of did it right.
0: I got that impression that so, so for the listeners, I, I do sort of know Gus a little bit, mostly just through doing the live stream and he would, he would, um, request bands and stuff. But you know, I, I kind of got that feeling that you were very familiar with the Raleigh scene just based on, you know, like Shiny Beast and Regraped and all those bands from that around that time.
1: Yeah. And Trucker. I mean, yep. like when, when Penny first opened, like I, a couple friends of mine, we helped build the long ramp that went up the front of the building that you walked up Yeah. for her. You know, she had that big room that was like a thousand people and we would always go, well, that's cool and all penny that there's like a thousand seat room. But like, let's say so-and-so wanted to play here and they only draw a hundred people. Mm-hmm. That's going to look really stupid in there. And she's like, well, what do you want to do? And so right there in the bar area before they put up all those walls, we just set up right there in front of the bar yeah and we did tons of shows there and some of them got kind of big and then that sort of made her realize she needed to build the casbah oh yeah and needed to have a smaller stage with a dedicated pa because we would take the pa apart in the big room bring it out to the small room for whoever yeah um we, Steve and I used to do these like marathon Saturday afternoon shows where it's like bring some cans of food. Yeah. Come check out Vans. Uh, come check out bands. We
0: uh, the I think the Accidents played one of those shows with uh with Ublish and it was one of those all day bring some food shows.
1: <laughs> yeah, and we did like bring coats in the wintertime. Yeah. I mean we tried yeah. Steve and I tried to do stuff and there was it was kind of that moment where in the late nineties, like before Fat City opened, that things were starting to kind of build again yeah. and you can see that the music scene was sort of changing. Um, I don't know for the good or for the bad, but Charlotte was definitely changing too. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the kind of people that you'd see around and, uh, but yeah, I mean, forever I was just all about booking bands and bringing people to town. Like I used to go to rock Hill a bunch and Greg Ellis when he was in Salvo rain. Yeah, And, uh, you know, I was way into that, like, that that underground punk scene big time. Still am to a lot of ways. Yeah. I don't know if it exists in the same way, but uh I did that's still kind of like I guess my wheelhouse yeah. when I talk about music and stuff. But yeah, I mean I just dabbled with the guitar and I don't know, I just was like talking shit with Mike girl one day and said we should start a band. We should start a band that's the loudest band in Charlotte. Fuck it.
0: I was going to ask who else was in the band, so uh, Michael K. Earl was in the band? Yep, yep, and
1: Tim Killo and uh, Scott Wisher. Okay.
0: Yep. need to get Scott on this podcast sometime. I probably need to get Michael on here and uh, Steve Munsell and (laughs) just about all these names you're mentioning.
1: Yeah, yeah, you need to get Steve because Steve had like a lot of really epic house shows in the early 90s at his parents' house that uh, still kind of hold up today. But, yeah, I mean, Scott had only been here a couple years at that point. He was running Manifest at that time. Yeah that predates like him opening lunchbox and yeah. stuff and uh we just all kind of had this um we liked carp we like drive like jehu yeah um we grew up listening to like uh 90s discord like bugazi Jawbox, mm-hmm. circus lupus nation of Ulysses kind of stuff and we just sort of started a band like that and that's kind of i don't know what horse thief sounded like but at least that was like sort of the mindset going into it yeah i was listening to it a little bit i
0: hadn't had a chance to really dig into it but you sent it to me the other day and i listened to some of it earlier and i was kind of just noticing that it's not you know what you're doing these days is pretty much a natural progression from that it's 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 yeah. very in the same vein and you know i will i kind of describe what you're doing is sort of like post-punk with like noise elements and stuff um, right so it's it's very much discordish i would say <laughs>
1: So. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, like the way Scott sang and the way Mike sang, yeah, um, it was very much that way. And at that time, I mean, like I said, there were no bands around. Like yeah. that was like Choke the Rivers with Our Dad had broke up, which was like Lee Dameron's and mm-hmm. Christina Fuentes' band. So there weren't like a lot of punk bands in town. And it just seemed like when we met Neil and Philip. They were like, hey, you want to play with this band? Hey, you want to play with this band? Yeah. <laughs> hey, you want to play with this band? So we felt like we were the house band at the Milestone. Yeah. And when they first opened it back up. I'm surprised and, we didn't
0: play a show together there. But I, our, our time back after Neil reopened the Milestone was sort of limited. And we only we only played a handful of shows. So maybe if we'd start a year earlier, I'm not sure where it all crosses over there.
1: <laughs> yeah, but this was like 2003 we got okay, going. So yeah, just a little bit before we got back together during yeah. our during our hiatus and you know, it's weird it's like I don't remember how I met Philip but I met Philip and he was like so hey we're doing these shows and it was in this building over by the Fillmore mm-hmm. there was yeah. like two buildings down from the Fillmore we played there once and then there was another time right down on Mint Street past sure. the stadium we play and you had to go down a bunch of long hallways to get into that room we played there too and then the next thing you know, I heard they had like leased the milestone. Yeah. And, uh, it just all seems like kind of a blur, but it was cool. It was an awesome transition. You know, the milestone will always be, you know, my home. I mean, yeah. in the nineties, I, I still think that that run that Penny had mm-hmm. is kind of untouchable. Yeah, it I mean, really is. And I, and I tell people like, you know, you can say whatever you want about her and you can say whatever you want about the times. I don't know if it's even like comparable. I mean, you know, like she booked Swerve Driver there yeah. and it was totally by mistake. <laughs> and they pulled up and were like, what the fuck is this place? I mean, they were in a tour bus with a 20 foot trailer yeah. and they were used to playing it like the Fillmore. And then they pull up to this house that looks like it's been added on <laughs> inappropriately. And, they ended up playing, and it was amazing. But, you know, for that time to get every AMREP band, mm-hmm. every sub-pop band. Oh, yeah, I remember uh, those days. The Discord, the, um, you know, and just everything. I mean, and the Melvins on the Houdini tour yeah. and Sleep and Hawkwind. I mean, I just don't know uh, at the end of the day if, the bar was set really high. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was <laughs> going to say, that's not
0: really a knock on, on who's, the, you know, on, on the Milestone today or or when Neil ran it or anything. And that was just, again, a really high bar.
1: Yeah, and it's just, I don't know. I mean, but it was a good time. I mean, Penny ran a good club, mm-hmm. and she was very fair, but, you know, that was back when it was so competitive, trying to be a band, Yeah, and, like, what was it being signed anyway? <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> like getting put on a record label you know but that's what everybody was trying to do there was money in it yeah and now i'm not so sure i think you have to ask yourself if you're playing music in today's times what are you doing it for yeah who are you doing it for Uh, i do it for me i don't ever i mean when if five people show up that's five more than i thought were going to show up (laughs) you know because i mean we're loud and abrasive mm. and that people usually don't stand up front and yeah. if they do then then they evidently wanted to be there yeah and then it's my job to make them hurt and then send them home to tinnitus <laughs> you know <laughs> do my part for the community but, but uh and
0: i feel totally the same way about that you know if five people show up that's five more than i expected I, i'll play for five or fifty or five hundred i don't know that i've ever played for five hundred but um yeah, you know, I play for however many people. I'm just I'm there to play for myself. I'm I want right. to have a good time and and play the music that that we wrote.
1: Yeah, and I don't know. Grids was a weird band for me, um, because when I joined it, they kind of didn't really very they, they didn't I didn't feel like they had their shit together. Yeah, but I saw a lot of potential.
0: was a, a band, like a Charlotte band as well. So I'm not familiar with that either.
1: Yeah, so that was Rob Davis that worked at Lunchbox for Scott. Okay. when yeah. he, At the first location. Yeah. And I don't know, they kind of reminded me of Young Widows a little bit, Piss Jeans. Mm-hmm. That was like 2008. They they opened for Fucked Up. They opened for Thrones. They've opened for some good bands. And um, I don't know, I was at a point in my life, I'm a single parent, so I've raised my daughter. She's like 23 years old now. Yeah. And, and that had a lot to do in the late nineties of me not being in a band.
0: Yeah. I trust me, I, I know like during my time that I was out of the scene, it was mostly because I was a I was a father.
1: Yeah. And uh it was really tough to do horse thief for those two years, but my parents really were mm-hmm. supportive and helped me do that. And my sister is who is now deceased, and some people in town know her from going to shows and stuff. Um, She struggled like for 15 years with breast cancer, Mm. and she had been sick, and my dad had had some health issues. So there was a lot of shit like bearing down on me, Yeah. and um, it all kind of came to a head in 2009. My dad just died, uh, had a massive stroke, and it just kind of turned me up on end. And I just happened to walk in the lunchbox, and Rob's like, would you want to play bass and grids? And I'm like, sure. Yeah. I'd like Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, let's just jam and see what happens. And I ended up liking it. And after the first practice, I told them, I said, listen, we're gonna have to change shit. Like, I just don't like this. And so I convinced them to tune down to drop C. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so everybody in the band tuned down to drop C. And I said, yeah, and you guys can't play these goddamn 212 combo amps anymore. We got to get some damn muscle in here. (laughs) So Rob went and found a Model T. And Rick went and found a Model T, and next thing you know, man, we had a band. Yeah. And I thought it was probably the best band I've been in, hands down. And a lot of shit happened super fast. Yeah. Like, I've never played in front of a band where we had a crowd, you know? Like, I I always feel like I'm playing in front of my friends and a few stragglers. This was a band that actually drew. Mm -hmm. Then over time, we started getting some press, and we started touring, and that all started to pick up. Yeah. And I don't know if it was just that time in Charlotte or what, but, I mean, we even played out of town and played in front of people yeah. and got a lot of really good gigs. And yeah. it kind of made me think, like, well, this is kind of weird. I mean, but I like it, you know. Yeah. I like playing in front of people. <laughs> and it's just, uh, I don't know. And then the fact that in 12, 14 months' time, we did two LPs, mm-hmm. I mean, I've never been that prolific.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um,
1: And a lot of people aren't because of everybody's life. But after my dad died, I was just kind of like, all right, I have got to start either, whatever I do, just wholeheartedly do it. Yeah. You know, my daughter was getting older. She was able to take care of herself a little bit. Um, I kind of thought my sister was going to get better, but. Five years later, she ended up passing away. Mm -hmm. And so I've had a lot of loss in my life, which is probably why my music is not very friendly uh, (laughs) music. It's a lot of just me getting stuff out that I need to get out of my system. Yeah, I love it. It's awesome, though. But it made me, you know, just want to keep digging deeper and deeper. And uh, I don't know, we just kept pushing grids. And, you know, we recorded with Kyle Spence of Harvey Milk. Yeah. Um, A lot of people don't realize this. I guess it was just so bizarre. The White Walls record came out first. Okay. In the, let's see, that would have been June of 2010. We recorded it in February with Bo White. Two months later, we were back in the studio recording a whole other record with Kyle Spence. Yeah. All new set of songs, everything. And that became the Kansas record. And we started to shop it. But the economy was still shitty. Yeah. And nobody, labels were like, oh man, you know, come talk to us next year. You know, we're in a rebuilding period. Uh, we heard that a bunch. Yeah. Um, and I know, like, Kyle gave it to some people and they got passed around. And we thought we were going to put it out on Learning Curve, uh, which is out of Minneapolis, which is kind of a weird arm offshoot of AMREP. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I, thought things were going really good. I mean, but those guys were young and I wasn't, I was in my late thirties and for them, this was just like, eh, I'll just go start another band. (laughs) (laughs) And, and you know, me knowing this is lightning in a bottle and sometimes you can't recreate this. Yeah. And the minute it stopped, you know, Rick went and started young and in the way Rob went and started no power. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bobby joined double negative Negative. everybody kind of moved on and, some things happened for some people some things didn't happen for yeah. other people yeah i don't know it was a big learning experience for me that was like most touring i had done actually like playing touring instead yeah. of for years i went out on the road with other people helped out touring sold merch slept gear yeah that, that kind of stuff for any bands that you want to mention no i mean it was nobody big yeah um but i but, but through that time i became friends with a bunch of people you know like yeah. i ended I met Cody from uh murder city devils and big business and Melvin's. Mm-hmm. I met him just by accident. He somehow ended up with my phone number and called me and I booked that murder city devil show at fat city that time. Okay. Yeah. And just keeping numbers and passing people off and just going through the motions, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it was just one of those things where uh, I don't know. I, it's just like I try to use everything as a learning experience, you know.
0: Yeah,
1: and and I've always been a big Sun Amp collector since like the late '90s. Yeah, I, I guess was, I kind of got known for that. Yeah, I was talking to uh, a <laughs>
0: Travis Travis Overcash, and speaking of like, he was talking about how like when his father passed away earlier this year, he came, he kind of got on this mission to play music. So that reminds me a lot of what you just said, but he also was talking about you and the Sun Amps, and and how that all tied into uh, what the band that became uh, Star Motor Company.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I helped those guys out. And, you know, I mean, I've been very fortunate, like, through a lot of stuff, through, like, Joe Preston, I met the people in Sun. Yeah. And I've sold them a bunch of amps and helped them out at, like, Mood Fest one year. And then one year, Stephen O'Malley did, like, the solo gig of this big four-hour drone session. Mm-hmm. And I ended up, like, supplying amps for that. Yeah. So, and I've done, like, you know, some stuff for Super Chunk at the Neighborhood Theater. You know, I've rented a lot of my back line out for people. I feel like music's my passion. Mm -hmm. I just never figured out a way to make any money doing it. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess we all are that way. Yeah. I never owned a club. I just always was the guy who was like, hey, so this band contacted me. You know, do you think we could get them in here on this day? And, well, how much money do they want? Well, we'll cover it. Okay, whatever. You know, only a few times did I have to, like, you know, dig into my pocket and do it. Yeah. That was always my arrangement with like Neil and Philip. I just sort of bird dogged it and brought bands to them, and then they booked it. Yeah, which was good. It's just it's you know it's a thankless job. You know who <laughs> whoever you are.
0: That's why whenever we do work, work work with somebody that books a show, you know, whenever I do my little thank you post after the show, I always try to make sure to include the the person that booked it because they really don't get a lot of credit sometimes.
1: Yeah. I mean, you them. know, I, I've remained friends with Philip all these years. I um, mean, he's a lunatic, but I love that kid to yeah. death. But uh, he went with us a couple years ago, Power Takeoff got asked to do this. Um, Steve Albini started those things called the PRF, mm-hmm. uh, Barbecue, and the money's like goes to the homeless, and uh, they do some outreach. Well, they did one in Louisville, Kentucky, and I was just thinking, man, I haven't hung out with Philip. I said, Would you want to go with us to Kentucky? Yeah. And uh, yeah. he went with us for the weekend and of course he, he didn't disappoint when it came to entertainment. I love that guy. Yeah, I you know, I just you know now he's off doing his own thing, you know, figuring out what he's doing. No you know, just not wanting to stick around here. But I don't know, it's it was it was a crazy time. I mean, grids was just one of those things and then when it ended, I was just kind of like, Seriously? This is over? <laughs> god damn i was just getting started you know
0: yeah and i I said uh, a minute ago you know i'm not real familiar with it i was listening to it earlier it's badass stuff i'm going to be really digging into it later
1: yeah and the records were kind of obscure like there was this label out of new york called inkblot Mm -hmm. and they were kind of a hardcore label yeah and he somehow was into the white wall well he only knew about the white walls record and then when I joined the band, like I said, we almost became prolific. We were writing like there was no tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't just going to practice to practice. We were actually writing sometimes two and three songs a night. Yeah. And so, you know, to have two albums worth of material was crazy. Like I've, I've never been in a band like that before, you know, especially with that kind of music. if you know rob davis you know that that kid got, needs a lot of he booked a lot of those punk shows like 2006 2007 2008 yeah. 2000, and he was the one that brought all that stuff to town like he's the reason fucked up played at the milestone okay yeah you know and he did a lot i mean he just did a lot and there's always a lot of people that never get to do I mean, it's like i said it's a thankless job yeah you know to do that. And then I always thought somebody would kind of pick up the torch after Rob left, but I don't know. It's, 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 a, it's a calling, yeah. you know, and it's a lot of time on the internet now and a lot of time networking. And a lot of people don't would rather, you know, nowadays with the way the, the world is, I mean, shit, who's got the time to want to be on the internet that much. Yeah. <laughs> and, and trust
0: me, like you said, it's a very thankless job. There's not really money to be made in it. Uh, for, no. for people that care about that. So you've got to love it to do it for somebody being in a band. You, you have to deal with that stuff enough. Like, so I don't want to pick up that torch because it's, it's hard enough for me to book our own band shows. Uh, I don't oh, want yeah. to be I mean, in, in charge of booking other shows for sure.
1: Booking your own band is impossible enough. Yep. Booking a club, <laughs> you know, I mean, and a lot of it was like there for a while. It was like, listen, um, I can't book your band. I'm sorry. You know, like yeah. uh, I'm trying to book my band, and you're trying to get me to get you a show on a Tuesday night. <laughs> you know, never heard of you. You seem very nice, but I don't know what you want me to do. You know, and it's weird. It was like a fountain, and then someone's like, the next thing you know, it's like someone turned off the water, and then I don't get those calls anymore. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. Once when you're in it, you're knee deep in it, and when you're not. It's like it never exists. <laughs> and I think for me, the older I get, the harder it is for me to book shows. Yeah. Going on tour, it's expensive. Like mm. I did a tour in two thousand fourteen to Texas and back. Yeah. And we have a diesel uh four dollars a gallon yep. of diesel fuel. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I might as well have been working for the for the gas stations. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's that's something I'd still like to do, but I, I know that that's got to be a ton of work because just just booking a show locally is a, is a headache sometimes.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're you're putting a lot of trust into people, and the one thing that's I've realized the internet's a really good tool instead of like calling people on the telephone mm-hmm. and playing phone tag, but you sometimes on the internet don't really get to know a person. Yeah, and I've had way too many times where we've like gone somewhere, got there. And the dudes, I was like, Hey man, did you get those posters? I sent you, did you get those up? Oh man, those are at my house, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, well shit, there's yeah. gonna be nobody at this show. Yeah. And you get there and there's like, you play for the bartender <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> and the sound guy. Yep. And it's really hard to gauge that when you're just emailing and texting with somebody, cause it's so impersonal in a bunch of ways. But you'd think with technology it'd get easier. But I just think you're competing with so
0: many bands. You're competing with so many different bands and just just the technology itself, while it's it's helpful, it's also a distraction. So there's a lot of other stuff going on when people are booking bands. They're also doing a lot of different things online as well. So it gets a little less focused.
1: It is, you know, because, I mean, you know, it's weird because that machine is, like, shut down now. Yeah. And it's like, you know, when it starts back up, I mean, was everybody going to try to get back on the hamster wheel at the same time? <laughs> you know, it's like I don't know if that.
0: Is that how it works? I don't, I, I don't know. I don't really know because I've been thinking a lot lately about how we're, we're definitely not ready to start playing shows again. But you know, I'm, I'm already thinking about I'm ready. To, I want to play a show. So what do I do? Do I go ahead and start trying to book something for like say spring of next year, hoping that things are ready to go? Or yeah. does anybody even want to bother doing that at this point? Because I think there's a lot of uncertainty so i think it will be kind of everybody gets back on the wheel at once unfortunately
1: yeah because like i i've been uh anybody who like follows me on social media i've been remodeling this house I i just moved into yeah and i've been doing it for like hardcore during COVID, and i don't know in the summer i was kind of like man this sucks like i want to see some live music you know yeah and i got to thinking well Maybe in the fall it'll be better. That was kind of like this entertaining thought that I had. Yeah. And then I was like, well, I've got this huge sunroom. Why don't I like book like Hex Machine from Richmond to come down on my birthday and blast my ears with their damn loud-ass high watts yeah. and do all that? But then I'm thinking, now, man, is that even possible? Yeah. Of course, if there's still restrictions and mandates, I wouldn't do it. I mean yeah. I don't want any I w- I don't want any blood on my hands of that I facilitated and something that got people sick.
0: Same here. As much as some people want to like move on and say whatever about you know we're maybe being too safe and all that. I'm I'm not wanting to be the one to be out there going, "All right, come see my show."
1: <laughs> There's that band in town. I don't know if you've been a chance to see them yet. They're called Mutant Strain.
0: I've heard them. I haven't seen them yet, but I've heard their music
1: they've got a record coming out on sorry state out of raleigh yeah they're awesome And all their shows are poorly advertised. Mm-hmm. And I've been to some houses over on Plaza where there's like 100 kids. Yeah. And I don't know who any of them are. That's the thing is, I, I imagine, I, I
0: always talk about how there's not really many kids in the music scene. But then I find out about a band like that. And I'm like, wait a minute. There's a scene that we, we're not aware of. That there's like house shows and, and, and these young I'll say punk, but I'll use that term loosely because I know like some emo bands and stuff like that. They they exist, and I've started hearing about them. But why do we not know about them? Why are they not playing, you know, Milestone and Tommies?
1: Well, yeah, like and uh, that I know that band Acne. I'm sure you've heard of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are part of that scene. Yep, I'd never seen them until I saw them at a house. There were all these kids man i was like well who the hell are all these people i've never seen i've never seen you at, at any of uh, the clubs in town exactly that's so it exists they're out there <laughs> yeah yeah and so then like mutant strain played um with a bunch of like west coast power violence bands at the milestone one night mm-hmm. and none of those kids came yeah and i'm like huh so you'll pay five bucks to go to somebody's house?" but you won't pay five bucks to come to the milestone. Yeah. It was very interesting to me that, but that's where it is, I guess, you know, and mutant strain is really like pushing that real underground scene. That main dude, Tyler, you should talk to him. He's a really interesting cat. Okay. He's got a lot going on. I can send you his contacts offline and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, but I think you'd enjoy talking to him because he's kind of like, has this scene going that nobody knows hardly exists. Yeah. It like uh, it exists outside of everything else. Not that they're anti-club, but they really are DIY at, at, to the bone. Yeah. You know? And I get it, you know? Yeah, I mean, but, that's,
0: that's, that's what I came from. So that's what, you know, I, I would love to talk to him and, and say, you know, it's, it's awesome to see kids doing that.
1: He brings bands to town I've never heard of in my life. Yeah. I went to probably about eight or nine of their shows, and some of them have been better than others. But he has a real interesting knack of just like existing on its own plane, yeah. And uh, and which is awesome, you know, in today's times. I mean, I hope they keep it up. Yeah. You know, I mean, I just hope all these bands can ride this out. The the good ones, yeah. Um, I guess time will tell. Because I find it very interesting. I don't know how you feel with your band, but like promoting a ban during the COVID virus is mm-hmm. and you've got and you really have nothing to sell? Yeah. Is kind of an interesting phenomenon. <laughs> like like does anybody really give a shit about uh me making a, a random update or are they more concerned why the you know, all the, the information on the Breonna Taylor case isn't been made public yeah. yet. it, it is know? like
0: that that I sort of uh I don't know, a balancing act you have to do, try to stay somewhat relevant. And we really haven't done a whole lot. We went ahead and released our EP after everything pretty much got shut down. It's like we didn't want to hold on to it until whenever we could play again. But since then, you know, I've, I've done a post here and there, but I really don't know what to do with it. I mean, I think we're getting ready to like put some merchandise online that people can buy. So maybe we can raise a little bit of money to go record. But even that I'm going to feel a little weird
1: about during this time. Yeah. We had a kid um, that's in this band called Tongue Party out of Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And uh, he made us these uh, – we're going to make these T-shirts. And they just have bolt cutters all over the front of them. Yeah. And it says fuck 12 down one of the handles. And down the other handle, it says A-C-A-B. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I saw that design.
1: And uh, somebody uh, – I bet I thought I should make a post because I had a couple people put some weird stuff on the page. And I was like, listen, in case you're wondering – yeah, Power Takeoff does stand with Black Lives Matter. Yeah, and trans, li- trans lives and uh, opinions matter to Power Takeoff. Mm. And if they don't, if that offends you, then I'm sorry. That you probably need to fucking move on to somebody else. Yeah. And I had four people send me private messages that were like, "Fuck you, I don't want to have anything to do with your band." And I'm like, "Well, then fine, yeah. you know." <laughs> If that's the way it's got to be, then that's the way it's got to be. I just wanted to make it very clear. If you had any inkling of where I stood, you know, and all of my bandmates feel the exact same way, yeah. you know? I mean, Cody Hare that played drums for us, he was out protesting every night in Charlotte. I didn't go out there because I am take care of my mother, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to pick up something. I was kind of paranoid yeah, at that same. time. I still am. Yeah. You know, I don't know how you get it and how you don't get it. They still haven't told us a definitive answer. You
0: but, but you're like me. If you got it and then passed it along to your mother, you would not never forgive yourself.
1: Yeah. And uh, so I just decided not to, you know. Yeah. and uh, But it's not that I don't believe in what those people are out there doing, you know. I mean, I've had some friends say, oh, man, I can't believe you're into this protesting. And I said, well, hey, I wish it was all peaceful. Who doesn't? I said, but... You know, if some glass gets broken, glass can be replaced. Lives can't be brought back, mm. you know. That's kind of my attitude with all of it. Oh, yeah. So, but I mean, I just, it's weird to make a statement like that from your band page for me to like, <laughs> listen, did you, I guess you've never talked to me before. Yeah. <laughs> if you are a fan of the band, did you really think that I would be that way, yeah. you know. Um, but, you know, I guess sometimes you got to spell it out for some people, you know. <laughs> And then some bands, I've not heard one thing about. One post, nothing. It's almost just like they're just leaving it dormant.
0: Uh, a lot of those bands, I, th- I think, are the same ones that whenever they play a show, they, are, they don't really post too many updates about it. They let everybody else do it. <laughs> but then there are some bands that are, that are active like that, that have just, like you said, are, are dormant at this moment, I guess.
1: It's just, uh, it's, it's crazy times, for sure. And I'm just, you know, trying to stay safe and be as... You know, smart as I can be about the whole deal, you yeah. know?
0: We took a little bit of time off when this first started and then decided to start practicing again. But I, I still feel a little weird about it. Just about every week when we go out there.
1: Yeah, but you guys are probably friends, too. And that's a whole other thing on top of that. And really, other than
0: you know, we, we we all go to work. But, you know, we just we try to use our best judgment and just be safe. Right. If anybody's ever feeling bad, we're not going to do it.
1: We lost. I mean, our guitar player was Nick. And uh, he moved to New York City two months ago. Yeah. And um, so, as far as, like, Power Takeoff, Power Takeoff's back to just kind of being me.
0: Yeah. Well, was, we, we haven't really talked about Power Takeoff at all yet. So, how did that get started? And I did notice that... Uh,
1: So after the grids thing kind of just ended, those guys said, "Hey man, we're done." Yeah, and I was like, "What? We're done? I was just getting <laughs> started, man. Let's, let's keep the party rolling." And I had sort of helped foster this relationship with Learning Curve, mm-hmm. and they had put out like the Hold Steady, um, that band from Minneapolis, yeah, I and like Gay Witch Abortion and Seahorse and. Kind of, you know, we're very much just a Minneapolis label at that point, And he was looking to sort of check out some other stuff. And mm-hmm. I had to, you know, unfortunately make that weird text message and said, Hey man, we broke up. I'm sorry. Oh man, bummer. You guys sure you don't want to just put this record out? They didn't want to do nothing. Yeah. So yeah. there it went. We made three pressings of a hundred records in Kansas. And that's where it sits yeah. today. And I had started sort of like, well, thinking about this other record I thought we were going to do and quickly sort of changed some stuff around and that became that Plowshare song on that Butcher's Waltz comp. Okay. And so I decided, you know what, man? I got nothing to lose. I'm just going to send it to them and say, listen. So I kind of got this and this is all I got. It's a 10 minute song. (laughs) And they were like, Do you have a record? And I was like, no, I have a 10-minute song, and and I'm just sharing with you what I got. And they were like, would you want to be on this compilation? Well, sure. But let me preface that I'm not a band. Like, I did all this stuff with the help of Rick Contis of Youngin' in the Way. He said, uh, and they were like, okay, yeah, no big deal. So I just figured i put this song on this comp. It was something to do, see what happens, sell a few records. The comp sells out in, like, weeks. Yeah. Because Gay Witch Abortion has a presence. Seahorse has a presence. They're on AMREP. Mm -hmm. And um, Skull Kodiak is the cows people. Yeah. And so, all of a sudden, it wasn't me selling the record. It was them selling the record. And so, it was out there. And, you know, that was in, like, the summer of 2011, Mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah. And... 2012 rolls around at the beginning of the year and Reiner's like, Hey man, could you put a band together and write some more songs? I was like, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I can see what I could do. He's like, well, I'm going to do a South by Southwest showcase if you want to come play. Yeah. And I was like, well, okay. So now I've got something to work for. Yeah. So I call my friend Matt who lived in that time in Richmond. He's being this band moonshine and he came down and he just, we just sort of clicked mm-hmm. like, him and I share the love of this band called Brain Bombs yeah. that are from Sweden. We just sort of clicked and went to Rick's studio, which was over at the No Dial rehearsal space. And between Rick and I early on and Matt, we just made more songs. And that's kind of turned into the Unhinged stuff a little yes. bit. And that came out on cassette tape, on these like laser embossed cassette tapes. And then eventually it's I'd heard it's supposed to come out uh, end of this year, first of next year, on a split LP. Cool. But uh, And that was kind of just like, well, I guess I need to get a band together. But Rick was real quick to tell me that he didn't, like, want to do it like that, you know? Yeah. Um, he had, like, his own obligations. So if it was just, we probably could st- still do it if it was just him recording and writing and doing that. But I couldn't really count on him for live shows yeah. or touring. Yeah. So Matt decided he would do it for a while, and I had the guitar player of Hex Machine for a couple years, and we did a couple tours with that, went to New York and back, went out to Texas and back. That's who played on the South by Southwest thing. And Mm -hmm. then I felt like Matt was becoming a permanent member, and I had sort of, like, started fishing around for a guitar player, and I got the guitar player of Seahorse, and he had also been in Vaz, um, which was that Hammerhead side project. I don't know if you've ever heard them. No. You should check them out. And uh, he agreed to come down from Minneapolis and go with us to Kyle of Harvey Milk Studio. Mm-hmm. And that was the uh, This Is Late record.
0: Yeah. It's a great record. And it's it's got a, I guess, kind of a sequel to a song from Grids on there, like Kansas Part 2. or
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> kind of took it and made it more of a medley out of it. Yeah. It was kind of like a last minute, like in the studio. Thinking back, I shouldn't have put it on the record. Um, I I like it though.
0: I think that's actually one of my favorite ones on the record. Is
1: it really? It was just kind of one of those things where everybody was like, "Oh, you should do this" because I helped write that song and I sort of made it different than the listen to the uh, listen to the um, the Kansas song on the Grids record. Yeah and there's it's totally
0: different yeah um, i was listening to that. that's what i was noticing when i was listening to it earlier and i think the thing i like about that song is just because the just the things you say it's just like you're kind of just spouting off these things that maybe piss you off or just whatever and it's just i, I just love it it's just it's, it's just kind of awesome
1: Yeah, I mean, I, that record was very cathartic, but it's hard to play now for me. Yeah. Like, that song, Work, mm. um, my dad owned this company, and there was he had a partner, and I kind of got screwed over, basically, out of a job as a result of all this, so yeah. basically, my dad died and sort of worked myself right out of a job, and uh, that song is kind of like my retaliation to that, and it's weird, and... It's 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 kind of like when I guess I had never done this before. You write a song like that, and then the farther you distance yourself from that situation, mm-hmm. it is a, it's weirder to go back and revisit. Yeah, and some of those songs that we've never played live because normally we play for like twenty minutes. Yeah, and that's it. That's all people want to hear anyway.
0: Exactly. That's we take the same philosophy.
1: Yeah, people don't want to hear all that. And I wrote that song on that unhinged today. I will not kill myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found this thing at a thrift store, and it looked like a like a cigarette pack, and it was plastic, and it was black, Yeah. and I pressed the button, and it was a recorded voice, and it said, Today I will not kill myself. Oh, wow. And then you just basically held the button down, and it just kept doing yeah. it over and over again. <laughs> And so I was like, okay, well, this is a dollar. I'm buying this. Yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: So it had like an eighth-inch plug, and so I put it into the thing, and I was like, you know what? I'll just loop this, and we'll just play over this. And my friend, unbeknownst to me, that was playing with us at the time, that was in Seahorse, he's like, man, that song hits a little too close to home for me. I just want to tell you, and I don't know if, he he knew someone who's tried to commit suicide or he's had weird feelings, but I can see where it really pushes people into a real awkward, weird spot. I can see that. And a lot of that, you know, I get off on because I want people to be uncomfortable. Yeah. I wanted Power Takeoff to be like, I saw the Swans quite a few times Mm -hmm. and they were notorious for turning the heat up to over a hundred inside the building yeah, and they, they used to like lock the doors so people couldn't get out <laughs> and they we were just in there and they were torturing me. and I kind of wanted it to be that I mean I know I catch a lot of shit from people here in town that are like oh man it's too fucking loud that's ridiculous PAs are too good now <laughs> yeah okay but I don't ever know about the guy running the PA is my question <laughs> and secondly what's wrong with being loud yeah. you know like even if a PA was great, do you think the who would have still been the like quiet? I mean there was just the, if you're gonna play this music, play it you know and it's not for everybody you know I mean if you want to play Bell and Sebastian go play Bell and Sebastian <laughs> <laughs> but I choose not to do that you know nothing against them but that's not me
0: yeah and I said on the podcast before and I don't remember what it was in reference to or what it was but like I always felt like anything kind of put you on the edge or made you a little bit uncomfortable there was something great about that there was something really cool about that and especially like with that and like, and I've seen you guys play I can't, can't even remember I was trying to think of who it was you played with I saw you guys at the Milestone one time and it was so loud that at one point I had to walk out of the room but I was in the next room going man these guys are badass
1: <laughs> well thank you There were some weird shows at the Milestone. Like, we opened for that street sex band. Were you at that show? I was. I don't think it was that one. That's the band that, like, uh, basically fogged up the entire room with dry ice smoke. And they used a chainsaw with no blade on it. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, def- I definitely wasn't at that one.
1: <laughs> and when you went outside the Milestone... Like, just because the milestone's not sealed up, it looked like it was weeping. Like smoke was coming out of, like, every orifice of magic. They sounded like ministry. Yeah. And we we played with them, and they were like, dude, we were always told how loud we are. They had this monster PA. Mm -hmm. And they were also playing through the milestone PA. But I told them, I was like, dude, we don't have a PA. It's just all straight amplifiers, you know? I mean, many a times our amps make it to where most PAs can't keep up, Yeah, you know? And that's kind of the point. I mean, I can't sing. You don't want to hear what the hell I got to say, <laughs> you know? There's, you want to look at it and make it seem like there's, like, a strained version of you're trying to, like, make out what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But otherwise, nobody gives a shit, you know? And I always <laughs> say that. I mean, I try to put a lot of thought into what we do, and I know – some people don't, some people do, but, but I honestly do try to put a lot of thought into it and make people think, make people uncomfortable. I'm sure it's been a hindrance. Uh, people probably don't want to play shows with us. Uh, people probably don't want to book us for that reason. I mean, I'm sure there's clubs in town. I've never, still, I've never played Tommy's. Yeah, you could do it.
0: AMFM's played there. They're pretty loud, too. Yeah. They played there, and that was a, it was a great show. Did you ever go to the SK Net Cafe? Yeah, I've been there before. I think I only went there once or twice, and and I saw Cemetery of Thieves there.
1: So Horse Thief played there in like 2004. Yeah, and I brought Dove to town, and uh, they came to town with full stacks. And there was a band from Boston called Fat Day mm-hmm. and Kalabi Yao, which was Bo White's band. Yeah. Um, the best part about that was. The lights rattled out of the <laughs> the out of the fixtures in the ceiling, and they freaked out. Like, you didn't tell us it was going to be this loud. Yeah. And I was like, well, I know this is a, a coffee shop slash <laughs> internet cafe, but I was just looking for a place to do a show. Yeah. Because back then, there were just sparse places to play. That's where it all kind of started as far as, like, having a place where we just – every band we've been in, I mean, Grids was loud – but it was controlled, you know, mm-hmm. two half stacks, and I had a really loud bass rig. But now with Power Takeoff, it's always a stereo guitar rig and a stereo bass rig. Yeah. And, um, you know, now, I don't know. I mean, I've even thought about getting a drum machine <laughs> and going that route and making it like a more demented Big Black, yeah. if that's possible. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know what holds for. I mean,. Everybody's like, when you said earlier about the lineups, it's always just been me. Yeah. And then it's just, you know, been other people involved just when I could get them. Like that split 7 inch, you know, yeah. with multicult. That thing came about because we toured together and really, truly, I've never toured with a band before that I really liked. Yeah. Like there's always been somebody in the band I didn't care for or. Maybe didn't really care for the band and really liked the people. Mm -hmm. That was like across the board a win-win. Yeah, like I, 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 that was very sad when that was over. And we decided, well, let's just immortalize it into a split seven-inch. Yeah, and that's literally how that came about. Yeah, I dig both sides
0: of that seven-inch too.
1: Did you get to see them when they played at the uh, station? No, I didn't. They were good, man. They were really, really, like, just real, so precise with all their time changes and everything. Yeah. They're just, if you ever get a chance to see them, they're a really, really good band. Oh, yeah. I'll be looking out for them. I guess at this point, you know, I always try to make shit count. You know, I mean, watching my dad die so abruptly and watch my sister die, I'm like, shit, I only got one chance at this. Yeah. So whatever it is I'm doing, I want to make it count. I don't know. I've never yearned to be a rock star. I guess more than anything, just be appreciated for what I do, you know? Yeah.
0: I think, you know, when I was a kid, I thought I wanted to be a rock star. But as I once I realized I was going to play punk rock, it was like, no, I just want to be able to do what I want to do and have people enjoy it. And I I don't care about being I mean, I still joke that I'd like to be bigger than the Rolling Stones. But, you know, who wouldn't? But I still just want to play music.
1: Well, I'm friends with the Abbott Brothers, you know, growing up here in Concord. Yeah, I don't, know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I want to be. I mean, they can't go to Lowe's by yeah. themselves. <laughs> you know, I mean, they can't go out to dinner and shit. I mean, they're not like, you know, the Rolling Stones, but they're still the big band. Yeah, especially, especially around re- Yeah, regionally. And, you know, so then it's kind of like, what are you willing to give up and sacrifice, you know? For me, I've always said if... Power takeoff, or anything that I do, music endeavor-wise, can pay for itself. Yeah, and that's all you know. When you start quantifying it that way, that's you know that's pretty much what the band has done. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I front the band some money to go on tour or record, and then we I pay myself back. Yeah, but when this thing starts costing me a bunch of money, eh, (laughs) I might be like, "Eh, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe I'm gonna move on. You know, because then you find out how long do you want to do this. You know, when you're like printing shirts and nobody's buying them. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> you got like a box of shirts and shit. You know, that's when you start thinking about. Well, I don't know. I mean, I rethink all this. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I've always wondered as a kid, even, and as I get older, like if there's still a place for me doing this around here. You know. Yeah. And I guess it'll just keep going. You know, because theoretically, I guess our takeoff could just be a recording project.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of people that have went that way these days too.
1: Yeah. I mean, if I can't find people to play with, I mean, there's plenty of people playing guitar. There's plenty of people doing everything, but I like to find people that have their own rigs. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't have big rigs anymore. Yeah. um, Amp wise. And I find a lot of people around here just really can only do like one band. Yeah. Maybe two at the most and you can't stretch somebody like super thin. I don't know, it's just, uh, (laughs) I ask myself that a lot. And then I also think like, do I need to be more involved now after COVID? Like really trying to help promote the scene and maybe in turn promoting myself musically, you know? Put myself back out there. I feel like, it's just I think our world in general, the older you get, the less serious you're taken. (laughs) and uh i'm sure some kid i'm just just some big fucking blowhard you know and uh
0: like what do i know i wonder that sometimes myself like with the things that i'm doing i'm like i think the stuff that i'm doing is kind of important but you know and some of my friends do too but once it gets beyond that do people really even care what i'm doing
1: (laughs) right yeah And i I mean i think you definitely understand what i'm talking about yeah it's uh it's a weird feeling you know because Sometimes when we would play, I'd have some kid come up and be like, oh, man, some guy said I should talk to you about amps. Well, I'm not like the amp guru, but I mean, I could definitely probably answer your question. Yeah, it sounds like you need to take it to the shop. Sounds yeah. like there's something wrong with it. <laughs> and a lot of people around here, I mean, got all these amps that they're just messing around with that are broken and don't work right. Mm-hmm. And me, I'm just anal about my shit. You know, I take it and get it fixed. Yeah. So I have to have everything working properly. But I don't know. I just I'm really curious to see where Charlotte comes out of all this.
0: Me too. I think on the other side of all this, that's, that's the one big thing is, is I, I'm hoping for certain things, but I really just I have no idea. And and I'm hoping that on the other side of it, people at least still appreciate what we're doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I know one thing we do have, we have a great record store mm-hmm. and there's some other places to get records. When Charlotte didn't have a record store, like when Milestone Records closed yeah. in the early 90s yeah. and then before that time between it and Manifest, man, it was weird around here. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the heart of a scene is a record store. Um, I, I kind of always used to think, well, there's no publications now. And I guess that's maybe not the worst thing in the world because I think the only thing left in like the Triangles, the Independent up there, mm-hmm. that magazine... And really, I mean, creative loafing's nothing. And the Queen City nerve—it's not like they talk about music. No, you know, the observer, idea. the observer used to. I mean, there's no like music writers, yeah. so to speak, who are—I don't know if it's that you would consider them a tastemaker, but they at least would sort of. When I was a kid around here, there was a guy named Fred Mills. Yeah, I remember. And he wrote for like Magnet and Alternative Press. Mm-hmm. And he wrote for the Observer and Creative Loafing, but I learned a lot from him. He just he would be like, you know what? I'm going to interview this band, and I'm going to make sure it gets out there so people can read about it. I don't know where that happens now, yeah. unless you're like reading it on the internet, you know? This, um, because well, there are no zines really to speak of or anything.
0: Yeah, I mean that's one reason why when I started this project, I brought back the zine part of it as well. Which I've done one issue. I'm I'm just about finished with the second one, or well, it'll be the fourth one. But that's that's if you count the first two way back 23 years ago. It's it's a lot of work, and I would love to do it maybe on a bigger scale. But you know, when I'm just doing it for myself, it's kind of hard to get motivated to get it all together. Yeah, and, and just knowing that that people don't really appreciate, or that print media is basically dying out. So I, you know, I don't yeah. say that people don't appreciate it. I think it's a niche market for for sure. But you know,
1: I, I wish more people were doing it. But I remember as a kid, I would always find these zines. Mm -hmm. Everybody was doing zines and stuff. And um, I kind of would love for that to come back in some weird way. Like, you know, I mean, my question has been, you know, the past six months, like, well, I know what I've been doing. I've been writing music and remodeling this house. What the fuck's everybody else been doing? (laughs) You know, like, if you're a writer, you've been writing? Like, are you as pissed off as me about, you know, Trump and all the shit? Like... I I had this impression in 2016 that it was going to be like this renaissance of 1982 all over again. Yeah. That it was like, because I remember there for a while, every record I picked up was like, fuck Reagan, <laughs> you know, <laughs> everything was like uh, just talking about how terrible the government was. Yeah. And I thought that we would go back to that place... But we haven't, yeah. you know. Besides a couple, like the municipal waste T-shirt with the, Ronald uh, with the Trump blowing his brains out. Yeah. But then you know, then Kathy Griffin gets in big trouble. It's like no band has said anything curt or weird <laughs> or nobody's written like the ultimate protest song. You know. Yeah. It, it was funny. I was listening to this comp the other day, and I don't even know which one it was. But it's from the '80s and like. Two seconds into it, you hear some guy in the back scream, fuck Reagan, yeah. like really loud. And you're like, well, that's, I know this came out in the early 80s, you yeah. know. and But I just don't know if that shit's like happening now or not happening. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons for it.
0: Because I remember when Trump first took office, there were a lot of people saying, oh, well, there'll be some great punk rock songs written over the next. Yeah, few yeah, years. yeah. And, and I haven't seen it. But I think a lot of people shy away from politics these days. And I, yeah. I, understand, I understand why. Yeah. But you know, I I kind of kind of miss that a little bit. I noticed there's there are plenty of fuck Trump songs on Spotify that are hip hop songs. So maybe that's where it's going right. to now. And and I was talking to uh, Sunday Boxing recently, and we were talking about like rock and roll is not the rebel music anymore. It's like hip hop is a rebel music. No, so, so I guess that's where it's went to.
1: No, and I got to tell you one thing I like about what your your podcast really is is that you're wanting to like go backwards and find the, some of the missing links. Of the music for like regionally yeah you know like you know playing the erectus monotone playing yeah. the vanilla train wreck yeah. uh regrate all that stuff there, there's so much like i feel like people around here locally don't like even give a nod to that yeah and i don't know if they realize how great it was in north carolina Between 1990 and
0: 2000. Yeah, it really was. And that's that's one of the reasons why I started the whole project. Well, part of the project, and especially the radio side of it. I was like, man, I don't want... You know, I love these songs. I still, you know, will put Picasso Trigger on any day and listen to them. But how many people have just completely
1: forgotten they existed? Yeah. I mean, like fred hutchison is a guy you should talk to no definitely he's on he's on my list (laughs) um uh, but like you know because fred was in uh Mm boil um fred was in 30 foot beast yeah played in subculture subculture he was in buzz oven yeah like he did like the buzz oven demos yeah um that led into buzz oven sewer puppet uh husbands i mean fred is a very you know one of those guys and People don't realize he played on in subculture in the eighties. Yeah, <laughs> and then like Greensboro, I think had a, a scene that never got enough due with like the Rebar, Raymond Break, mm-hmm. Geezer Lake crew. Yeah, there was like the Rights Reserved, which was like more punk. Yeah, and then they became Eagle Bravo. Um, there was a lot of really really good bands that, and and of course I always kind of tipped my hat to the Raleigh scene. Yeah. It just seemed to, like, click for me. They seemed like people that were like-minded people, you know? Yeah. Um, that whole trucker, which, like, morphed into Cherry Valance, mm-hmm. and then Regraped was around during that time. And then, you know, of course, they did, like, three tours with the fucking champs yeah. after they moved to Portland. Um, there was, but I appreciate that you're, like, going back and replaying that stuff. for Because I'm sure some a lot of the people that log into your, uh, you know, your podcast or your uh, thing, they don't know who those bands are, yeah. you know? But they were definite players, you know, at a good, very good time to live here, you mm-hmm.
0: know? Oh, yeah, that, that that early, the early 90s, well, like you said, basically 90s through the two thousand so is a really, really good time for music in this whole state. And well, North mm-hmm. and South Carolina combined, but really in North Carolina.
1: I mean, Columbia had an amazing punk scene. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it all kind of started with anti-schism. Yeah, that's, that's
0: why I was sure to throw South Carolina in there as well, because it would really, you know, anti-schism, uh, 134.
1: trying to think of who else. Inhumanity. Inhumanity, so, and then the uh, guy in a punchline. Yeah. yeah, that's another person you should talk to, is Chris Vickle. Yeah, I was thinking about, or just
0: earlier today, I said, I need to send Chris an email, tell him it's time.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, you know, because he's a guy that, you know, um, for lack of whatever, he's kind of Mr. Columbia. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, he's never left since he went to college. I think he went in like eighty-eight or sure. eighty-nine.
0: I think he's been there for like about thirty over thirty years now. And
1: yeah, yeah, and he's been a, and is a huge integral part of that music scene down there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I guess you know there was so much underground music back then. You know, it was just a different time. Yeah. You know, the the internet. I remember watching it slowly change everything. You know. Um, and, like, I, I hate it for people that didn't get to live through Fat City here in Charlotte. Yeah. That was just, you, know, you try to describe it to people, and I don't do it any justice. That was an awesome place. It had so many
0: good shows there, too. It was just a really yeah. awesome place.
1: I mean, it just, I don't know. Like, Charlotte's had its moments. I just don't know. I'm scared of where it's going in the future with all the heavy gentrification yeah. that's going on that's that's the thing that scares me the most you know i continue i've always lived in concord since i've been back Mm -hmm. i never chose to live in charlotte i kind of like my space and sort of respect my space and then now i've got a lot of space (laughs) (laughs) during covid but uh i don't know i i'm thankful i don't live in charlotte and have to be all on top of people right now
0: me too i mean that's that's one thing is I, i love this area i love you know charlotte for better or worse I love the town you know there's, there's times when I, when I hate it but um, I, I like being far farther away from it. I like having my space and uh,
1: yeah I have a car I can go when I need to go yep. and then I'm time to get back I can get my car and leave there are times when I'm like man I really wish I lived closer but
0: you know overall I'm, right. I'm pretty happy where
1: I'm that it's funny to think of all the times we were at the same show and you would get on 85 to go south yep. and I would get on 85 to go north yep. for our 30- minute drives to opposite, opposite directions. Know and like my latest thing is I don't know if people follow me on social media. I'm gonna build a soundproof music room in my basement. Mm -hmm. I don't have to have a practice space anymore because I've got room here in my basement, and I've always wanted a soundproof music room with like the double five eighths drywall, everything, to where someone can be upstairs and not hear my band playing in the basement. Yeah. So that's like my next big. Thing I'm getting ready to tackle. Heck yeah! <laughs> my 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 COVID uh, COVID goal. I'm calling it. Besides growing some COVID hair, I'm yep. gonna uh, <laughs> since I haven't got my hair cut, My next thing is um, uh, I've pretty much finished up remodeling this house. Is to build me a soundproof music room. My goal would be to make create a room that's. Kind of like the tiny desk sessions, yeah. (laughs) Except for the bands that would never get asked to do that, yeah. Create a room, sounds good. Somebody could play in live. I could theoretically record it and broadcast it out to the internet.
0: That'd be awesome,
1: and have it like controlled in my basement.
0: Yep. Well, keep that in mind because we might need stuff like that on the other side of all this, or maybe, maybe even during all this. Yeah, it's kind
1: of what got me thinking, you know, because I watch all those Tiny Desk sessions and I'm like, man, the bands I like are never going to get asked to do yeah. this. <laughs> Same here with, I think earlier this year,
0: NPR was running a contest and said, if, you send, if you're in a band, send uh, send in your music and get considered for a Tiny
1: Desk concert. I'm like, they're not going to consider Van Huskins. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> I mean, I just don't know. I mean, it's cool what they do. And I don't know if you've seen the ones they're during, doing during
0: COVID. I've, I, it's been a while since I've seen one. I think Bob Mould might have been the last one I watched.
1: They did one with, like, a Bill Callahan, mm-hmm. and it was, like, at his house in Austin. And each one of the members were, like, ten feet apart from each other. Yeah. And they were basically in his backyard. And I thought it was funny. They were trying to be witty, but also very relevant to the yeah. times. Yeah. yeah, You know? I don't know what if that's what it's going to be from here on out. You know? Yeah. Like my My thought was, well, if I did this and this room turns out the way I want it, maybe it it could I could parlay that to bring a band to town, play in my basement, but then go that night to play at the milestone for some money, yeah and if the recording sounds really good, then maybe you could put it out, maybe you'd have this vehicle then to put to, for them to put it out, yeah you know'cause I know some people have put out their tiny desk sessions, mm-hmm. some bands have not, so I don't know. I, I'm just trying to think, well, what's next for me? You know, I'm on the backside of 40, and I don't know. I guess I'm just trying to, like, carve out whatever my niche is. Yeah. And, I mean, I used to always dream of opening a club because I would go to clubs thinking, man, if I could replicate that here, wouldn't that be awesome Yeah. God, I don't know if that's even a possible dream anymore in Charlotte Yeah, or anywhere for that fact.
0: Yeah, I used to have the same dream and think, you know, what if if I could do that in Kings Mountain or Gastonio or Shelby or something? But first of all, nobody would come. But, you know, like like you said, even in Charlotte, is that even really a dream anymore to have the club? Because at one point when I was younger… Yeah, you know, the milestone was the first place I went to a, a punk rock show, and I was like, "Me too, man! I'd love to run this place someday." But, but like these days, I don't know that I'd want to run the milestone, you know. So, so much love to Buck for doing what he's doing over there.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, like I mean, I remember when Philip was doing the haunted mini golf mm-hmm. over Belmont, yeah. yep. you know, and he had like Blake Schwarzenberger from from uh, Jawbreaker over there and stuff like that. Yeah,
0: I was I was at that I was at that
1: show. But I mean, it's just crazy that like he tried he tried to bring people to Belmont you know i don't think we live in a big enough metropolitan area yet where concord kings mountain belmont gastonia rock hill huntersville cornelius you could have a club that the kids from charlotte would come to yeah i mean you can live in la and they'll drive to costa mesa to go to a show but they're not going to it's where we don't live in that kind of a region.
0: Yeah, I have been surprised. We've played, we played Freemans quite frequently and we can get a few people from Charlotte to come to Gastonia for that, but it's, it's not like a lot of people.
1: Right. The only time I went to that, I went to that Dax Riggs show that was in Gastonia. Oh, yeah, that over, time Over at Zoe's. Yep. I mean, you know, I think there's some cool places. I just don't know. I think the situation has to be right. Yeah, exactly. You know? that, that That's it. We,
0: we just have to put on a good lineup in, in Gastonia one good enough to entice people to come across the river and it happens every now and then but it's not sustainable so like there's there's a new venue opening up in gastonia and hopefully they're going to do well but they're going to have to cater to a lot of different crowds i think in order to do it
1: right i mean i I was like asking myself the last two years i don't know if you did with just playing out loud playing you're like where's everybody at Mm -hmm. like they're not here where are they you know are they over at Snug? And then you find out there's not so many people over at Snug. Yeah. And then you find out there's not so many people over at Tommy's. You just wonder, like, has everybody just gone real apathetic? Yeah. Or, like, or what are they doing? You I, know? I think that's part of it.
0: You know, and I say all the time, talk about how many distractions you have in the palm of your hand on your phone. It, right. and I think that's a big part of it right there is that, you know, not only that, but on your TV, Netflix, or whatever you want to watch, everything's right there at the touch of a button. You can right. listen to whatever you want to, watch whatever you want to. You can watch a concert on, on, on a full concert on YouTube if you want to. So I, I just think it's a matter of people have too many options these days and not enough money. Or their money's going to a bunch of different places, you know.
1: The thing that's really dawned on me was, and I know you probably remember this too, when I went to the Milestone, I was there for the night. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's it i'm not going anywhere else and when i used to be at tremont i was there for the night now i notice people are like jumping around they're not like one minute they're there one minute they're not they're checking in here they're checking in there i'm guilty
0: of that every now and
1: then but it's like if there's two bands i want to support on the same
0: night and i think i can get between the two places i'll do it but i i do you know I, i try i try most of the time to go to one place and stay
1: I mean, I remember, like, when Neil and them first opened up and, like, Monotonics would play, mm-hmm. it felt like I was at the Milestone to like, four in the morning. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, you. it was like an epic evening. You were exhausted from just everything that just took place and went on. Mm-hmm. And But I don't, I don't know, I guess, I don't drink anymore either, and uh, that's probably got a lot to do with that as well, and I'm, I'm not, not just a guy that goes, I don't go out to bars anymore.
0: Yeah. You know? I, th- I think that's a part of it too, was that, you know, again, we talked to a little earlier about how, oh, my cat's jumping all over me now. <laughs> she's, she's in heat. So she's being really annoying, but um, <laughs> about how like kids, you know, where, where are the kids? And we talked about how they might have their own little scene now or whatever, but a lot of people are age, They don't drink anymore or they don't drink much or they, they right. know that if they drink, they're not gonna be able to drive. So they don't don't take the chances like they used to, which is a good thing. It's not a good thing that we used to take more chances than we should. But I'm just saying, I think that translates a lot to people staying at home these days.
1: Right. I don't know. I mean, and I I try to, like I said, I try to be as supportive as possible, but it just sometimes doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. My first priority is taking care of my mom. And then now, you know, but it's weird. I mean, for years, my first priority was taking care of my daughter. Yeah. You know? It's weird when you check out of a scene what you miss. Yeah. Like I remember in the late 90s sort of checking out for a bit when Cameron was a baby, and then I came back, and it was like, wait a second, what are the uh, is this Christian hardcore? What the <laughs> hell is going on here? And I was at Tremont, and some that band Beloved from Winston-Salem was playing, and they were talking about Jesus and... Then they sounded like the devil when they were screaming, and <laughs> these kids were doing like high leg karate kicks and shit. Yeah, I was like, "Oh my god, I've only I've only been gone three years, <laughs> two years. What the hell happened?" This has been a Gabba Gabba Hunt Media Production. Like when I did the uh, This Is Late record, this is a funny little story about that. They did the record, um, sent it in, got it pressed. Then I got a call that said, hey, man, there's something wrong with the record. (laughs) And I said, oh, shit, what's wrong with it? They're like, well, when the bass kicks in, the needle jumps off the record. Whoa. (laughs) I said, what? And they're like, yeah, yeah, it just comes completely up in the air. And I was like, oh, shit, man, we probably, like, pushed the bass too hard. (laughs) We were mastering it. And I guess somewhere cutting the lacquers, it got lost in translation and the record was basically unlistenable. Mm -hmm. Um, Had to be cut again. Um, Had to go back in and redo and adjust it to where when the bass kicked in, it didn't just pop the needle (laughs) off the record. Um, which was cool. I wanted to do that, but I didn't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to cost somebody extra money, you know? <laughs> and, uh, cause I'm always looking for a way to like fuck with people, like put lock groove or something at the end <laughs> of a record or at the very beginning to where that way, once they're in it, they're just stuck in it. Yeah. It just goes in and goes out. But uh,